So the problem of loneliness, it didn't start this year. But according to numerous pieces of evidence, living under lockdown has increased that loneliness that many of us have been feeling. So the Samaritans in Ireland, they have recently reported an increase in the number of distressed calls that they are receiving to their helpline. Google searches for words such as loneliness or worry or sadness are increasing right across many countries. And a study by the the Mental Health Foundation found that in the UK, loneliness has doubled during lockdown to almost a quarter of adults stating that they have been lonely, suffering from loneliness. And this loneliness is actually higher among the younger people. 44% of 18 to 24 year olds been suffering from loneliness. 35% of 25 to 34 year olds been struggling with this. In another study by the University of Essex, they found that although women are suffering from that social isolation more than men, they found that those reporting at least one mental health issue has more than doubled in both the male population and the female population. Then a professor at the University of Arizona, he claimed that many people are suffering from what he calls skin hunger or touch deprivation. They're just desperately missing a handshake or a hug or any other kind of physical contact with another person. Maybe that's why in the States, uh, many of the, the animal shelters are running out of animals that they can put up for adoption. Because so many people are desperately trying to get a pet to make up for the lack of human interaction. And so although many of us have used things like Facebook or WhatsApp or Zoom and a host of other platforms to try and connect with each other over this time, we still suffer when we can't actually meet with each other face to face. We were designed for relationships. And when they are missing, we suffer in so many ways. But this need for relationships is not just with each other. We also, this, it also points to the deeper need that we all have in our lives. Our need for a personal relationship with God. It's a very famous quote from Augustine from many, many years ago. He said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. We're made for God. We're made for our relationship with God. And until we find that, we'll never really find that peace and that rest in our lives. Mary Magdalene was suffering from a loss of connection, a loss of a relationship. She'd watched Jesus the one that she loved desperately, the one who'd set her free and transformed her life, she'd watched him die on a cross in agony and shame. 
And then she'd seen where he'd been buried. But when she returned a few days later to mourn him, and also to anoint his body with spices, she found that that stone had been rolled away. His body was nowhere to be seen. The only thing that was there were some folded grave clothes. She was devastated. She felt lost and alone. But this situation was going to change in the most remarkable way. Her loneliness, her distress, her grief was soon going to disappear because she was going to meet the risen Lord. And Jesus wants to bring that same connection into each one of our lives. We are designed for relationships, not just with each other, but ultimately with God. Our hearts long for that connection. And Jesus died and rose again so that we could have that personal relationship with him. So this morning we're going to read from John chapter 20. Following on from last week, we're going to read John chapter 20 from verse 10 down to verse 18. So verse 10 says this. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. As we saw last week, Mary Magdalene had been confused when she discovered this empty tomb. She told Peter and John, they have taken the Lord away out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. She didn't know what had happened. And she mistakenly thought that the Jews or the Romans had stolen his body. And this intensified her grief. Now she couldn't properly mourn for him. She couldn't express her love and her devotion in caring for his body. 
Of course, as we saw last week as well, when John investigated the evidence, he saw and believed. He saw that stone rolled away. He saw that the body was no longer there. He saw those folded grave clothes. And that was enough to convince him that Jesus really had risen from the grave. But it wasn't enough for Mary. Even although she saw the exact same evidence, she stood outside of the tomb crying. She was still confused by what she had by what had happened. She was still confused that that morning her circumstances had gone from bad to worse. Maybe this was because her grief was just so deep. Maybe nothing would lessen the sense of loss that she was experiencing. Nothing apart from experiencing closeness with Jesus again. And so when Peter and John left, she stayed. It was almost like she had no one else to go. She'd lost her last connection with her Lord and the one that she loved so much. And Well, where would she go now? What would she do now without him? I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of desperation. You ever felt that you just couldn't go on? That you had nowhere to go? Nothing to do? And you just didn't have an idea of what you could do? But Jesus didn't leave, it, leave her there. Soon everything was going to change for this woman. Soon everything was going to make sense. Soon the light would come. And the joy would arise. And this is the hope of the resurrection. It tells us that even in the darkest of moments, even in those times of despair, there is the hope of joy to come. As Psalm 30 says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This is what Jesus promised the disciples earlier, of course, wasn't it? Remember in John chapter 16? He said, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. Yes, there are times of sadness and great sorrow as we go through in our lives, but, but, The resurrection brings us unshakable joy. And for Mary, this joy came through a new revelation. Not through the angels. Did you notice that? Look at verse 12. Mary saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Even when she saw that, Mary remained Sad and confused. When they asked her why she was crying, she said this, They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. 
For Mary, even an angelic appearance, a visitation from angels, was not enough to remove her distress. Even that kind of supernatural experience would not distract her from her longing for her Lord. Now, unfortunately, many people are fascinated and intrigued by angels. They want to know more about them. They want to communicate with them. They want to receive messages from them. Even some people make a lot of money by claiming to be able to give angel readings to people. And yes, of course, as Hebrews 1 says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are God's servants. And they do work to serve His people. So God sent angels to announce the birth of His Son and the resurrection of His Son and the fact that He's going to come again in glory. But God does not want us to focus on angels. The Bible is clear on that. So for example, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, Paul warned this. He said this, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost his connection with the head. He has lost his connection with the head. He's lost his connection with Jesus. The people who are focused on angels have lost sight of who Jesus really is. Lost their connection with Jesus. And then when John himself, he saw a vision that's recorded in the book of Revelation. And it was an amazing vision shown by him by an angel. And this is what he wrote in Revelation 22. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who'd been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you. Worship God. Today, we're not here to connect with angels. We're not supposed to go to people who claim to be able to connect us with angels. That's something that God does not want us to do. Because instead He wants us to be connected with Christ, His Son. And to worship Him alone. And this is what Mary experienced. Look at verse 14. She turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise that it was Jesus. Lots of people have tried to explain why that was the case. Why didn't, Jesus, why didn't Mary recognise Jesus at first? But was it because she was just crying? Her eyes were full of tears? Was it just because she was just caught up in the emotion of that moment? Was it that Jesus hid his identity from her? Was it that it was just the case that Jesus was the last person she expected to see? 
at that moment. But whatever the reason was, she thought he was the gardener. And that he might know where Jesus' body was. So this is what she asked him. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. There was no sense of bitterness or anger from her. Just a gentle request to be able to collect the body of our Lord and bury him with dignity and the love that he deserved. But then her life was changed by just one word. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. When Jesus said her name, suddenly her eyes were opened. Suddenly she realized that the person speaking to her was none other than her Lord. And she realized the amazing revelation was that Jesus was alive. That his tomb was empty. That his grave clothes were there. Because he had risen from the dead. It was an amazing revelation. A life-changing revelation. The most amazing news that's ever been declared. But it was also such a personal revelation. Jesus' resurrection was not announced by thousands of angels shouting from the sky. But through a loving reunion in a garden. Jesus appeared to Mary because he loved her. And it reminds us that this morning we are personally loved. Jesus says that as the Good Shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. He doesn't say, hey you guys, come follow me. No, he says to us by name. Come on, Andrew. Follow me. It's personal. He doesn't send out a general invitation. He's calling us personally. Because he personally loves us. And he wants to personally meet us. And have a personal relationship with us. In verse 17 he said this. He said, I am returning to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. This is the language of personal relationship. Now of course you'll notice, Jesus did not say, I'm returning to our Father and our God. He didn't say that because he, as the Son of God, has a unique relationship with his Father. But through what he has done, through him, through his resurrection, we can be brought into a wonderful relationship with God as our Father. And with Jesus as our brother. 
Without the empty tomb, we would have been forever cut off from God. Our sins would have separated us from God forever. But He was delivered over to death for our sins. And He was raised to life for our justification. So on the cross, all of our sins were placed on Jesus. He died our death sentence. He paid the price that only He could pay. But Jesus rose again to declare that our sins were paid for in full. No more sacrifice is needed. And so if we turn from our sin and put our faith in Him as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then we are forgiven. Then we have been declared righteous in God's sight and we're adopted by Him into His family. This is what John wrote at the start of his Gospel. To all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. But that's not all. Look at verse 16. When Jesus called her Mary, she turned towards Him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Rabboni is a a personal title. Uh, It's like rabbi, which we might be more familiar with, which says teacher. So Rabboni is like my teacher. My dear teacher. Just seconds earlier, Mary had been in deep distress because she thought that someone had taken the Lord away. But now she was filled with joy because her Saviour was present. This is the reality of the resurrection. It doesn't only declare that our sins are paid for. It also says to us that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, no matter how much we struggle, our Savior is present. That He is here. That He is with us. It is because of the resurrection Jesus can say to you and to I, He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So even in the middle of a pandemic, even in the midst of social distancing and isolation and all the the anxiety and the stress that that can bring into our lives, If we have trusted in Jesus, then we are never alone. We are never alone. He is always with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And nothing and no one can ever separate us from His love. So the resurrection restored Mary's relationship with her Lord. But just finally, this relationship was going to be different from now on. Jesus said to her, 
Verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. There's lots of different ideas about what that was about. All sorts of different uh, suggestions have been made about this. Some of the translations in the Bible, some of the older translations especially, say, Jesus says, do not touch me. And so some people have got this idea that, that nobody could touch Jesus before he ascended to the Father. But I think we know that that's not true because later on, Jesus told people to touch him. To give evidence that he actually had physically rose from the, from the dead. We'll see that with Thomas later on in this chapter. So this is not, do not touch me, but this is, don't hold on to me. It's as if, in joy and wonder, Mary had grabbed hold of Jesus and just wouldn't let go. So maybe Jesus said this to, to her, to reassure her that she would see him again. He not yet ascended to his father. And so for the next 40 days, he would appear to Mary and the other disciples on numerous times to teach them. Mary didn't need to panic because this was not the last or final meeting with the Lord. Or maybe Jesus was teaching her that her relationship with, with Jesus was going to be different from now on. It was not going to be based on physical presence. Yes, it was crucial in order to provide this convincing proof that he was alive. But his resurrection and then subsequently his ascension would lead to experiencing a new way of experiencing his presence. Not through physical touch, but through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And that is why this relationship with Jesus is not just for Mary. And for the other disciples who were so privileged to see the risen Lord face to face. Jesus has not left us on our own. He's not left us like orphans in the world. Because if we've trusted in Him, then His Spirit has come to live in us. And to be with us forever. This is Jesus' promise in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But there was another reason why Jesus told Mary not to hold on to her. Or hold on to him. She had a job to do. She couldn't just stay there holding on to her Lord because, as Jesus said to her, go instead to my brothers and tell them. Mary, Jesus wanted Mary to go and to share this good news. 
He commissioned her as the first person to proclaim the wonderful truth that that he was alive. That he'd conquered the grave. That he'd triumphed over sin and death. Just a little aside, I think this is further evidence of the historical accuracy of the Gospels. Because nobody in that day and age, in that society, would have ever chosen Mary to be the first messenger with the resurrection news. That's because in that society, women were not thought of as being reliable witnesses. So nobody would have made this up. But Jesus chose the most unlikely of persons. The overlooked, the marginalized, to challenge the world in its wrong thinking. And he still does the same. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, these amazing verses. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the, the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one would boast before Him. As we might not feel very important or very influential in this world. We might not feel very clever or very effective in being able to share this good news. But if you and I have met the risen Lord for ourselves, if we put our trust in Him, then we are commissioned by Jesus to share this good news with the world. The resurrection is too wonderful, too important to keep it to ourselves. It's too life-changing to hold it back from, from other people hearing it. We need to share this news with a world in desperate need. We need to go out into this world and shout this message from the rooftops. Or chat about it over coffee to our friends and our family to take it to the nations, to the world. That's what Mary did. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said those things to her. I've seen the Lord. She came to that tomb in tears. She was deeply distressed, lonely, confused and full of questions. But meeting Jesus had changed everything. So she left with a deep and unshakable joy. And a clear and confident message that she had a personal relationship with the risen Lord. So what about us? Will we do the same? 
Are you and I willing to do the same? That's my prayer for us this morning. That each one of us will have known that we put our faith in Jesus and that we've met Him personally. That this isn't just a a religious exercise this morning. That this is not just something that you just do because this is the way you were brought up. But that you're living in in a real, personal friendship, relationship with Jesus. That you put your faith in Him as your Savior and your Lord and you know that He's alive. And you know that He's your, He's the one who has saved you. And you know that He's with you no matter what you go through in your life. And that each one of us will go from here this morning with this renewed commitment to go into the world and tell the world this amazing news that Jesus is alive.